1: the 2023 Halloween Special. This episode is only one part of a five-part series. Be sure to listen to each episode in order. This story will reach its dramatic conclusion at midnight on October 31st, Halloween. But if you don't want to wait, it's available in paperback and ebook from Amazon.com. So without further ado, let's travel to Prouty, Indiana, This is The Owl. Chad Wilkes swore off cigarettes two years ago. Afterwards, his wife caught him stealing a smoke behind the garage and told him she would kick him out if she ever found him smoking again. And Chad Wilkes had married an honest woman. He had truly intended to give up the habit at that time, but his body had a will of its own. It craved the tingle of nicotine, the slight numbness at the tips of its fingers, the defiant rush. After his wife caught him once more, Chad moved in with his little brother in Prouty, It shamed him to call his younger sibling in the middle of the night, begging for a place to crash until he either kicked the habit or his wife caved and let him come home. Perhaps shame is what Mrs. Wilkes had in mind when she had issued her fateful ultimatum. Ironically, being away from his wife allowed Chad to slip back into a comfortable, casual relationship with his trusty camels. He convinced himself he was going to quit by cutting down to two cigarettes a day, one in the morning just to get the motor running, and one at night to settle him down and appease the jitters. That had been two months ago. On the evening of October 18th, 2020, Chad Wilkes stood on his brother's back deck, staring out into the deep woods behind the house, desperately sucking on the wilted remains of his evening cigarette. It looked like a burned-up esophagus hanging limply between his fingers, an image which had occurred to Chad more than once before. It had been too long it was time to accept the truth. He needed help. Professional help. He had to get out of Prouty, Indiana, where half the population smoked like it was 1950, even while doctors were warning about the exacerbated danger of smoking during the pandemic. Did anyone with the habit heed those warnings? They had already chosen to flirt with death. Chad dropped the butt, ground it beneath his slipper, and tipped his head back he closed his eyes, relishing the light-headed rush for what he determined would be the last time. With his eyes still shut, he chucked his half-empty box of camels into the trees. Could he find it tomorrow? Possibly. But my, would he feel like a fool digging around in the woods for a few damp smokes. Just before he opened his eyes, a sudden impact crushed both of his shoulders. He screamed, but found his lungs full of something much thicker than air. He gurgled up gushers of blood as warm fluid poured into his punctured chest cavity, filling every cubic millimeter of space. Then Chad was flying, lifted into the air like a ragdoll. In the fraction of a second it took Chad to open his eyes, he was already hovering 30 feet above his little brother's roof, and already his vision was blackening. His head lolled limply to the side, knocking against something hard and slick. His eyes rolled up. The last thing he saw was the outline of a of a dragon traced in the moonlight, carrying him up, 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 and over the forest. Andy Laxton had heeded Officer Jennings' advice about skipping his usual walks through the woods. He had replaced them with a morning stretching session out on the rear deck above his back patio, which is where he was at 5.30 a.m. on the morning of Wednesday, October 21st. The sun wouldn't rise for hours. As dark as the sky was, it may as well have still been night. The forest behind Andy's property rustled in the chilling morning breeze. Every now and then, Andy thought he heard the sound of giant wings beating amongst the tall trees, but each time he managed to convince himself it was only the wind forcing its way through. At what Andy approximated to be six o'clock, the wind carried a different sound to him, one which shattered his fragile serenity. It was the unmistakable gargle of a man retching. It came from somewhere in the woods north of his house. Then there were voices. None of them sounded particularly excited, just conversational. The trees drowned out their words, but Andy tried to listen for a few minutes before deciding they were simply too far away. Perhaps, he thought, the DNR or one of the police departments were searching the surrounding area for more evidence. They hadn't ventured too far from the section of woods behind Andy's property since recovering the skeleton there on the 15th. Andy spent the rest of that Wednesday going back and forth between checking the news and writing some news of his own. He had no plans to publish yet, but he wanted to have something ready when the time came. He would honor his statement to Officer Jennings and would aim to serve the people of Prouty with whatever he wrote about the thing behind his house. It was after Rick the DNR guy had driven the pellet away, to where, Andy could only guess, that he had sat down to write. He didn't bother constructing any form of narrative. Not yet. For now, he only recorded the facts he had collected, such as the approximate dimensions of the hideous object that object, which Andy had regretfully begun to think of as the pellet, thanks to Rick, had been hauled away early in the afternoon on the 15th. Andy wrote about how he had watched the authorities loaded onto a trailer from his front window. He wrote that the pellet's length extended across roughly half of the 10-foot trailer and took up nearly its entire girth. Andy took frequent breaks from writing to check the news again. He didn't expect to see anything about the pellet not after his conversations with Officer Jennings. Plus, he had been able to watch the entire on-site investigation, and no one from the media had shown up. No one from any of the local channels came later, either. What Andy did expect to see was maybe a profile of a missing person, likely a married woman based on the sort of jewelry that had been discovered with the bones. He wouldn't have been surprised if Prouty PD had issued a press release about the recovered body in order to find someone who could help identify it. Surely, someone would have recognized the diamond-encrusted engagement ring that had been inside the pellet. But no, the police had issued nothing on the subject. This deeply bothered Andy. That evening, he began putting together another article. This one was an exposé of sorts, blowing the cover off the conspiracy cover-up of a dead body found in the woods. It explored possible reasons for the police to keep the discovery quiet. He suggested they were scared as Jennings had outright stated, that the mysterious circumstances would start a panic. Andy allowed that a community-wide panic would surely hamper the investigation, but he asked his potential readers whether that was a good enough reason to hide a lurking danger from the residents. He also explored the possibility that Chief Bradley Gilbert was too proud to ask for help from the larger area agencies but the Prouty PD didn't have the necessary resources on its own to properly manage the investigation or protect the town. Andy tried to leave his personal feelings out of the piece, but he was almost positive this second possibility seemed most likely to him. Andy would also save this article for when the right time came. He may even send it to Officer Jennings and Chief Gilbert to let them know what awaited them if they didn't alert the public to the potential danger or take the proper precautions. Andy woke up at 2.13 in the morning on Friday, the 23rd, to the sound of a siren rushing past his house. This surprised him. When he had lived in Gary, sirens were just a part of the nighttime ambiance. That's the city for you. He couldn't remember the last time the siren's whine had actually disturbed his sleep enough to wake him. It certainly hadn't happened since he moved to Prouty. So why did he hear one now? Was it only a coincidence? Andy didn't believe in coincidences. However, as a journalist, he had a duty to examine them closely. As much as he hated to, he left his house, and, still in his slippers, got into his car. He had at least put on an undershirt and a pair of sweatpants. The siren had been traveling south, so that's where Andy drove. They had shut off shortly after startling him awake, so he knew he wouldn't have to go far. Three blocks down from his home, he saw a proudy police car parked in front of a ranch house. When he idled closer, he recognized Officer Labrie by his round frame standing on the home's doorstep. A woman stood in the doorway, silhouetted by an interior light behind her, but Andy could tell from her posture alone that she was distraught. Her shoulders were drawn in, and her hands were clasped to her chest as if creating a cage to trap her heart when it would inevitably burst out of her chest. Andy pulled up behind the parked police car, shut off his headlights, rolled down his window, and listened. Unfortunately, the woman noticed Andy, and Labrie noticed her notice him. He turned around and immediately started toward Andy's parked car. Andy waited as the cop lumbered toward him. He wasn't in the mood for a confrontation. It was too early. He was too tired. A fleeting impulse to start his car and peel away flickered through him, but he knew how speeding away from the police in the dead of night might look. Roll your window down, Labrie ordered. It's already down, Andy pointed out, leaning on his elbow on the passenger seat to meet the officer's eyes. Yeah, well, what are you doing here? Do you live around here? LeBrie sounded comically out of breath. Just up the road, yeah. And what are you doing out this late? LeBrie demanded. I heard sirens. Wanted to see what's going on. You don't hear sirens too often here, you know? Ah, hell, you're that journalist guy, aren't you? LeBrie asked, getting closer and leaning in to make out Andy's face. He seemed to notice Andy's slippers and immediately looked away, as if embarrassed for him. It's Andy, don't you remember? You've stopped me twice before, Andy replied with snarky irreverence. Anyway, as I'm sure you can imagine, I'm naturally curious. Andy didn't dare mention the true depth of his interest in the late-night sirens. If Labrie made the connection between him and the pellet investigation, well, there wasn't much Andy could do about that, but he hoped the cop wouldn't connect those particular dots. Well, Andy, I'm going to ask you nicely to leave this poor woman alone and be on your way. This doesn't concern you. I'd suggest heading home and going back to bed. She seems upset, Andy said. Anything I can do to help? I'm sort of a distant neighbor. The officer shook his head. Like I said, you can... He paused, then looked up the street. Actually, if you see anyone else out, give me a call. She's looking for her husband. He didn't come home tonight. Okay. "'Andy replied, suddenly feeling quite nervous. "'If I see anyone, I'll call, um... "'Have you seen him?' "'The collapsing woman from the porch asked from halfway across the lawn. "'She stumbled toward them, with her arms still clutching herself. "'Ma'am, I'll be right back with you. "'This guy hasn't seen anything.' "'Oh, I don't know about that, officer,' Andy thought. "'The woman broke into sobs. "'Tersely,' Labrie told Andy. "'You can just call 911. "'Tell the dispatcher whatever you see.' he'll call me. Will do. Stay safe, officer. Andy couldn't help but add a hint of sarcasm, but he immediately regretted it. He could hear the trees rustling from his car. He wondered if, maybe, the complacent cop next to him might be in real danger for once. As he pulled a three-point turnaround, he entreated fate for Labrie to survive until the morning. He saw no one on the short drive home. Andy had but one lead for more information about the pellet investigation. He hoped Rose Barnum, the police dispatcher, would speak candidly with him, but he couldn't be sure. Perhaps Chief Gilbert had told Rose not to speak to anyone. But would that stop her? Andy had been delaying a visit to Rose because he hadn't wanted to catch her when any warnings from the chief might still be fresh. Rose always had weekends off and spent much of that time volunteering at Prouty's miniature public library. Many of the town's young families used the library during the week, particularly during the summer or after school, but Andy had found it to be a quiet place on Saturdays, and especially Sundays. He didn't want to wait until Sunday to talk to Rose, though. He had too many questions, some of which had started feeling urgent since the disappearance of one of his neighbors the day before. He went to the library on Saturday, hoping he might strike luck and be there alone. His car was the only one parked in front when he arrived, but that didn't mean anything. Most people in town walked to the library. But if there were other patrons, he would pretend to browse until they left. Simple enough. A bell above the door jingled, announcing his entrance. The small library consisted of only one long room lined with floor-to-ceiling shelves, Each side had one of those rolling ladders that you really only see in movies nowadays. If the library's layout was a letter, it would have been a capital A. A double-sided shelf divided the back half of the room down the middle, but the front half was left open to serve as a sort of lobby. Rose's desk was in this half, facing the door, but she wasn't sitting at it. Not wanting anyone else's attention, Andy resisted calling for her. He peeked around the middle shelf just in case someone was crouched back there, enveloped in a good read. but it appeared he truly was alone. Somewhere in the back of the building sounded a rush of water followed by a guttural gurgling. Andy hurried to pick up a random book and pretended to scan its pages so he wouldn't look like he was waiting for Rose while she went to the bathroom. It would do him no favors to make her feel embarrassed or uncomfortable from the jump. He didn't notice at first that he had grabbed Ray Bradbury's The Halloween Tree, A seasonally appropriate read, he thought. Then he realized he had plucked the book from a special Halloween section, which also included Shirley Jackson, Neil Gaiman, Mary Shelley, M.R. James, and, of course, plenty of Stephen King. A door in one of the back corners Andy had never paid much mind to opened, and little Rose Barnum shuffled out, drying her hands on her jeans. Andy turned away so he could pretend she surprised him when she returned to her desk. Looking for something spooky? Rose asked. Her bubbly personality could be deduced from the way she asked that single question. The first time Andy had come to the library and met Rose, he had pinned her in her late 30s or early 40s, but he had come to wonder if she was actually older and masking her true age with youthful mannerisms. After all, don't they say age is just a number? Part of the difficulty in deducing Rose's age, not that it mattered, was the makeup she skillfully applied before ever leaving the house. She contoured her cheeks and shadowed her eyes so thoroughly that Andy thought if she ever did go out without makeup, he probably wouldn't recognize her. But no, her fiery red hair, dyed, not natural, would give her away. Not many people in Prouty colored their hair beyond their natural hues. In response to her question, Andy said, Um, I was thinking about picking up a good Halloween read, but as I'm scanning these books, I wonder if I really want something scary. Oh? Rose asked, sitting down at her desk. Yeah, well, you remember last Thursday morning, don't you? Rose had been the one to take his call about the skeleton behind his house. Oh, yes, yes I do, Mr. Laxton, yes I do. And did you hear? She stopped herself. Bingo. Hear what? Have they identified whoever was inside that thing? Andy asked. He suspected that wasn't what Rose had been about to say, but he didn't want to be too direct. Not yet, anyway he had to lure the gossip out of her. He casually reshelved the Halloween tree and picked up We Have Always Lived in the Castle and pretended to scan the inner lining. No, I'm afraid not. Not that anyone's told me anyway. Sometimes they, the officers, keep things from me. It's all right, I suppose. Not really my business. Oh, but Rose, isn't it? Andy baited the hook. I mean, it's not really fair that you have to take all those calls and not get any resolution, right? You deserve to know how things turn out if you ask me. Thank you, Rose said more excitedly than Andy anticipated. I'm in a Facebook group with a bunch of dispatchers from all over the country. And do you know that's everyone's number one complaint? We take all those calls. For some, it's way worse stuff than what I deal with. And then the officers show up and the caller hangs up and... Rose raised her hands out to her sides, palms up, and shrugged. Well, I'm no dispatcher and I'm no cop, but that just doesn't seem right to me. Andy said. It's not fair to make you piece everything together yourself. I mean, well, I shouldn't assume, but come on, Rose. Don't tell me you don't try to piece it together yourself now and then. Andy leaned on the desk and winked at her. Rose grinned. She whispered wistfully. You know, I'm not too bad at it either. That tracks, Andy replied. So, about that thing that fell behind my house, if you were to try piecing that together, what would you guess happened? Rose immediately looked uncomfortable. She literally squirmed. Andy hurried to save the interaction before it careened off the I'm-not-supposed-to-talk-about-that cliff. You know what? I shouldn't have asked. I'm sure you're not supposed to talk about it, and I completely respect that. I'm only curious since the first one was basically in my backyard. Rose gasped. So you do already know about the other one? There it is, Andy thought. Now we're moving. I do. Andy lied. Then he took a big risk. He remembered hearing those voices on Wednesday morning. He recalled the sound of someone puking just like he had when he looked into the first pellet. The voices had come from... Just north of my house. Did you take the call for that one too? Rose said, No, that one they found on their own. Sort of. Jennings found it after a guy called to say his brother had been missing for a couple days. She went back down in those woods and found it easy enough. She's a bulldog, isn't she? Andy saw a look of offense twist Rose's face, and he quickly added, In a good way, I mean. She's committed. No one's going to shake her when she's onto something. Oh, Rose laughed. Nobody can shake Crystal. No way. Crystal? Andy thought. No wonder she's never given me her first name. There's nothing wrong with the name Crystal, of course. It just seemed out of sync with Officer Jennings' entire personality. Crystal sounds bright and shiny maybe delicate and precious. Officer Jennings was certainly bright, but none of the rest. It's just so crazy, Andy continued. Two dead with no explanation? What did they tell the brother? Who? Rose asked, looking lost. The guy who called in his missing brother? Did he see it? Andy wanted to know if he might have another lead after all. Oh, I don't think so. I think they locked the scene down pretty tight this time. She gave Andy a prying look, which he ignored. Two dead and only one person missing, he mused. What do you think is going on there? Rose looked uncomfortable again. This time, he could see it was because of how badly she wanted to tell him something. She looked like a child all of a sudden. A child left alone with a plate of fresh cookies and instructions not to eat them. Andy leaned in further. Rose, is someone else missing? Andy asked. Rose sighed as if defeated by herself and said, Someone else was reported missing yesterday. Can you believe it? No one's gone missing from Prouty since, well, ever since I can remember. Oh, wow. Andy let Rose see how much this information excited him. He wanted to keep her going while her lips were loose. So I guess that's it. Two missing, two bodies. It adds up. He already knew there was more to it than that, but again, waited patiently for Rose to fill in the blanks. Rose shook her head vigorously. Her red hair flew out to the sides, and when it settled, it covered half of her face. The body they found behind your house belonged to a woman, she whispered. Yeah, Andy whispered back, pretending he didn't already know. And the new missing person is a man. Andy nodded solemnly. The sobbing wife he had seen would likely never see her husband again. He had already assumed as much, but he left room for the possibility that the man was having an affair or something. If he still hadn't turned up 24 hours later, though, Andy figured it was safe to assume the worst. Suddenly, Rose began shuffling her keyboard and mouse around nervously. I've told you way too much. Oh, please don't tell anyone I said any of this. The chief specifically told me. Don't worry, I'm not going to tell, Andy said. Rose gasped. Oh, no, you're a journalist, aren't you? Oh, God. Andy forced himself to smile. Rose, don't worry. I'm not going to publish anything until I have hard facts, okay? If I write an article trying to make a full picture out of these little dots I have so far, people will laugh it off and call me a nut. I'm going to keep digging, and when I do publish something, I'll be sure to keep your name out of it. Rose looked a little hurt, but then decided that would be best. Well, if you promise to leave me out of your article, I want to tell you one more thing, she said. What's that? asked Andy. Rose looked around as if someone could have snuck in without ringing the bell. Andy thought she probably did this because it's what people in movies do right before they divulge some enormous secret. Rose leaned close to him. Ian, the other dispatcher, told me he took a call last Thursday night, the night after you. Yeah, yeah, Andy hurried her. The call came from a woman sitting on her porch. She said she saw something fly up out of the trees just after sunset, then fly straight back down. What did she think it was? asked Andy. Not sure. Something big, though. I know that doesn't sound like much, but given everything else going on? Want me to tell you if there are any more sightings like that? Yes, absolutely, Andy said. Right. It'd be for your safety now, not the article, she winked, then instantly became somber. You know, since you're living right where one of those... things turned up. Got it. For my safety. Andy gave her a toothless, gracious smile. He had to force it, though. Just as he had to force the big farewell smile he gave Rose as he finally walked out of the library and back to his car. A giant flying creature and three probable victims. If that wasn't enough reason for him to go public, he didn't know what was. But he still needed some hard evidence. He had the photos he took of the pellet, but to connect that to some second-hand account of a monster sighting would be journalistic suicide. He would burn every rickety bridge he had with the police, probably with Rose too, and likely spiral Prouty down into hysteria. But still, the people needed to know what might be out there. Ah, come on in, Bradley, Gina Ashford said when she opened her office door to find Chief Gilbert on the other side. Thanks, Gina. Chief Gilbert stepped into the one-room office building of Ashford Realty of which Gina was the owner and sole employee. She also happened to be the elected mayor of Prouty, which only required her time one Thursday night each month for town council meetings. Being mayor of the small town didn't take much normally, but the look on Chief Gilbert's face when he entered her office for their impromptu meeting told Mayor Ashford that might be about to change. "'When you called and asked for a meeting, I assumed we would put something on the books. What's so urgent you have to come all the way down here on a Saturday afternoon?' Chief Gilbert took a seat in front of her desk and said, I am sorry for the intrusion. I hope I'm not disrupting your afternoon too much. This just didn't seem like something that could wait any longer. Enough of the buildup, Bradley. What's going on? We may have a potentially dangerous situation in the woods. It's something unlike anything I've seen before, and this guy, Rick, from the DNR, says he's never seen anything like it either. The chief described the discovery of the first pellet, then the second. Mayor Ashford's face morphed from macabre intrigue to disgust to sickly unease as he spoke. Just yesterday morning, somebody else disappeared. He still hasn't turned up yet, and I'm worried when he finally does, he'll be wrapped up in one of those things too. Who is it? the mayor asked, sounding like she didn't actually want to know. Uh, let me see. I didn't know him well. It was Trout, I think. Any relation to Heather? She owns that little eastern medicine shop on Main Street. Uh, yeah, that's his wife. Gina rolled her eyes and blew out a puff of air. Boy, she's eccentric on a good day. I bet she's babbling all over town right now. She rubbed her temples. So what are you doing? What needs to be done, and what do you need from me? Well, Gina, to be honest, I'm not really sure what can be done. I don't want to start a panic. No, Gina interrupted. Until you know for sure what's going on, I don't want to do anything public. This has been a tough year for everyone already. I mean, thank God we've been insulated from the pandemic for the most part, but it's still affected us. I don't want you or your cops scaring people about some kind of... of... of monster in the woods until we know for damn sure what it is. Yes, ma'am, that's what I was thinking, too. The weather's gonna start getting colder here soon, and that should help keep folks inside and out of danger. I'm a bit nervous with Halloween coming up, but we can reevaluate when the 31st is closer. The mayor cut in. The chief nodded. But you still haven't told me what you're doing. Right, well, I'm still in touch with that guy from the DNR. He's helping research this thing. In the meantime, I've got Rose and Ian tracking calls about suspicious or strange animals in the area. Maybe we can pin down where this thing lives and go hunt it. How many have there been? Gina asked. Just one potential sighting so far. Caller wasn't too descriptive. It could have been a frickin' eagle or a lake bird based on what she said. And how are we keeping people safe? Chief Gilbert felt like they were talking in circles. He said, For now, all we can really do is learn about this thing. I think taking any public action before we know more is going to start a panic. The grocery store is only supplied once a week, so I could see the shelves getting cleared out pretty quick if people feel like they need to stay indoors. You know how it is whenever we get bad weather around here. Gina nodded. Then there's the fact that we don't know how long it'll take to get rid of. How long could we keep people inside? A few days? A week? Then what happens when they all come out and won't listen to us anymore? I hate what you're saying, but I think you're right, the mayor said solemnly. Just try to figure out what's going on quickly. If somebody else goes missing or turns up dead, we might not be able to keep a lid on this much longer. No, like you said earlier, we've got relatives of victims out in public now. They'll start talking even if the journalist doesn't. Journalist? Gina asked. Didn't I mention the first body was found by that journalist, Laxton? The guy who moved here from Gary? Oh, right. Has anyone talked to him about keeping quiet? One of my officers is friendly with him. She says he sort of threatened to go public if we don't get this sorted out, but he's staying quiet for the time being. Good. Well then, Bradley, if you're not looking to buy a cute acreage in the country, I'd like it if you'd let me get back to work here. Of course. If you think of anything else, just call me, the chief said as he stood. I do want to discuss Halloween next week if this hasn't sorted itself out, the mayor added just before the door closed. Same here, Chief Gilbert affirmed as the door swung shut. Oh, Bradley. The mayor shouted just after the door closed. The chief rolled his eyes and cracked it open again. Yes, ma'am. The cross-tower annual picnic is tomorrow afternoon out in the courtyard there. There'll be lots of people there, so hopefully that's enough to keep people safe. But could you... I'll tell whoever's on duty to stick around and I'll be there myself too. You know I never miss the annual picnic. Chief Gilbert smiled and slapped his belt-busting gut. Of course. Okay, that's all, Mayor Ashford said.